0: Right. Uh, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the first episode of Policy Debate, uh, a show of South African Libertarian. My name is Martin van Staden. I am a law student at the University of Pretoria and currently a local coordinator with African Students for Liberty. I am joined by my colleagues and friends, uh, Christian van Aistien and Nicholas Woodsmith. Christian is a student at the University of Stellenbosch. And the founder of diagonalviews.com. And Nicholas is a student at the University of Cape Town, a political, uh, politics and philosophy student, and one of the original founders of the South African libertarian movement. That is, capitalised, not the entire movement. Um. Yeah. So today we'll be discussing several topics uh, that are currently taking place in South Africa. And yeah, let's. I think we'll start on that note. Um, so, what 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 I found interesting that happened during this week was another instance of a Far Eastern nation arresting South African citizens. Now, this time it was the People's Republic of China, which arrested several South Africans um, for some really bizarre reasons. Uh, these people were part of a gift of the givers, uh, tourist or something, uh <laughs> tour through China. And they say they were watching videos of um, the history of China, especially of um, what great uh, Genghis Khan. And along with some, some British and, I don't know, some other countries' citizens as well, the Chinese government arrested them on, on terrorism-related charges. And um, for watching propaganda videos, there is something in their hotels. Now, this is in the last few years, probably the, the fourth time that South Africans have been res- arrested in in, in in East Asia. And I think the previous times it has been on, on drug-related charges. Now, my opinion on this is actually pretty interesting when it um, comes to libertarianism. Uh, many will describe me as a neoconservative in this case, but... But but I would I would say that our government doesn't do enough to ensure our citizens are protected um, abroad, uh, given that the, the so what what monarchists believe the proper role of government should be it's to protect the life and liberty of their citizens. Now we don't we don't lose our citizenship the moment we leave the country, and and I think this is a, an oppressive act by a foreign government towards South Africans, and and I would say that that we we should do so, something like more more to to um, pressure the Chinese government and giving us back our citizens and we should continue to follow this this kind of stance when it comes to our citizens especially if they're arrested on on vague or really unfounded charges or on on drug related things that we really have our own law to take care of them with so uh, Christian, uh, what, what do you think about this whole tragedy?
1: tragedy? Yeah, hi. Um, yeah, I think the, the Chinese government has a history of being paranoid over things like this, and I don't think we'll soon get a response from their side where, where they'll state the, the real reason for, for the arrests. Um, but the main thing I think that we can move on to is going to ask us, how is South Africa going to deal with this? Because this is a very good, you know, standard test of, of our diplomacy. And if our foreign ministry and our vice president, who I believe is currently in China, uh, you know, it's a perfect opportunity for them to show what they're made of. Maybe issue a statement saying they condemn China, they condemn the moves and they're doing everything to to get our citizens back. But I I haven't heard anything anything like that. So so it's unclear what they're going to do, but um, but I think the the charges, you know, terrorism and stuff. That's that's kind of ridiculous. So we should we've gotten five of the ten or eleven back, um, and hopefully we'll get the rest back soon. You know, and I don't think it's the best conditions into to be in a Chinese cell, in uh, close to, in Mongolia or somewhere, while uh, while your family is at home and worrying. Um, So, yeah, I'm hoping for a speedy resolution to this whole matter. Nicholas?
2: Now, um, it comes as no surprise that China is continuing to act as kind of a psychotic state. This comes as no surprise. It's still communist, technically. Um, But I agree with you, Martin. As much as it might sound neocon, it is the responsibility of a government to protect its people, one of its only responsibilities. But I'm not optimistic at all that our government will be able to solve this problem. Because I genuinely don't think that they care. Um, Rampoz will be there, and he'll do it as much as it's convenient for him to try to free as many people as possible. But he doesn't really care. Um, he will try to. Uh, what's more important to him is his business relations in China, and to maximize the amount of money he can probably get out of all of his other dealings. Because if there's one thing that characterizes our national government and our ruling party, is its corruption and hedonism. I'm not really optimistic about this. Um, hopefully the Chinese government will just get bored and maybe just release these people
0: um, with a little bit of mercy. Yeah, yeah, certainly I, I agree. Um, and, and another, like, the thing that, that makes me, like, very pessimistic about this whole situation and about, like, going forward with our country and um, foreign relations and stuff is... A recent I don't know, was it last year, uh, you you guys remember um Pierre Corky was like kidnapped by Al Qaeda in Yemen? Like our yeah. government did absolutely nothing. They they literally just like negotiated with Al Qaeda until Corky was killed. And <laughs> I mean really if, if the South African Defence Force wasn't capable of going into Yemen, like a country of basically no government and getting back our citizens, I mean there is no no reason to believe that really there will be enough political will to even pressure, come close to pressuring the Chinese government into conceding anything to us. So yeah, I guess this will, in the end, this will come down to how generous China is feeling uh, about their relations with us, especially, which I I really hope like we get these these citizens back.
1: Yeah, I, I think this this uh this reinforces the myth, if you can even call it a myth, that the Chinese government you know, exerts a fair amount of pressure and influence in South African politics. If we can't stand up to this, which is a blatant or well, seemingly blatant abuse of our citizens' rights, what's the purpose of having an embassy in China? What's the purpose of having a foreign ministry if they're not going to come out and do something?
2: What's the
0: purpose so, I don't of having a
2: defense force?
0: What's yeah. the point? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, all right. So I, I guess we, we we pretty much um, discussed that well or whatever. Um, so next, we're moving on to your topic, Christian. Uh, it's about the flight of the rich from South Africa. So could you give us a short introduction on that?
1: Yes, basically, of course, we'll, su- we'll provide the sources for all of these uh, in the description below. Yes. Um, It's a case of South African citizens, uh, over $8,000 millionaires, South South African dollar millionaires have left the country over the past uh, 15 years. And, you know, they take their money with them and imagine if this country had 8,000 more dollar millionaires living here. Imagine the the thousands and thousands of jobs that South Africa has lost. So uh, we have to ask, why are they leaving? And the thing is, they're not leaving. They're not leaving to because there are better opportunities or better investments overseas. They're leaving because they're uncertain about South Africa's political and economic environment. Um, you know, the the article mentioned places like Portugal and Malta and the UK. Um, people moving there, moving their money there. And I've been to Malta, and there's absolutely nothing going on there. Sure, it's very clean. There's no crime, but it's a very boring place. So, you know, people don't buy property there or invest there just for, because it's a great opportunity. They do so to kind of maneuver themselves and their assets out of South Africa. Um, I've heard horror stories about people who've moved to Australia, immigrated there. So I, I think the, the core of this issue is why are people leaving? Why are the rich leaving? Um, I don't think our country our governments, and, you know, some of our, our lower classes of our citizens respect and understand the necessity of having rich people, if you can put it as bluntly as that, in the country, and, you know, if, if we appreciate them and make life more comfortable and uh, rewarding uh, for them, uh, everyone will be better off, so yeah, I don't know, your guys' thoughts?
0: Yeah, so, um, Stefan you I think most libertarians who know who that is, uh, so just He's a Canadian uh, libertarian philosopher who really talks about these, these kinds of things. And in a recent um, one of his recent videos, he talked about Greece, especially you now this relates to this topic. Where he he said that a big part of Greece's current economic problems is that I don't know in the past what hundred years or something the Greeks, um, the the intelligent class, or to put it like that, or the productive Greeks have left like Greece and and the, Greece was, is now left to a f- essentially a fully uh, fully socialist voter base now he's um, Molyneux says that the cause of, of the Greece Greek economic crisis is the, the anti wealth culture of, of the Greek people and and I can I can see that parallel in South Africa actually um, which is actually very worrying um, we, our, our, civil society, our intellectuals, our um, just our our commentators, they would always always talk about how um, poor South Africa is, but but in the same in the very same breath they would condemn the um, wealthy people. I there is there is a I I don't want to say it's an anti-capitalist culture because capitalism is by default hated anyway everywhere, but there is an anti-wealth culture when someone does well in South Africa he's seen as a bad guy he's seen as exploitive um, he's seen as like having earned something he doesn't deserve and people say this without even um, further investigating I, uh, a recent example was when um, when uh, I think it was in Cape Town uh, like flats or um, expensive apartments were being built on the waterfront somewhere and um, by, by, by foreign rich investors and when, when you looked at what South Africans were saying about it, it was shocking. I mean, they they said this is it is terrible. They they condemned these rich people without knowing who they are by saying uh, like they shouldn't come here. South Africa is poor. They're just gonna exploit the people. And I personally think that if if such a um, anti-wealth culture, like a culture that is part of our our people, like exist, then South Africa will never go anywhere. I mean, it doesn't matter how much potential, or how much natural resources we have, uh, or how many, how much smart people we actually have. If we have an anti-wealth culture, we will just fail. Uh, that's that's my opinion on it, basically. Uh, Nicholas.
2: Yeah, as you just said, this is just another blatant example of how they'd rather have equality and poverty than just unequal wealth, which is, in my opinion, a lot better. Um, and of course, just as I agree with you again, this is all to do with the socialist electorate and government regulations, which are shoving these people out. Because rich people know that they probably don't have a future here. But the thing is, they're rich enough to leave. Which is, yes, it's go- uh, uh, that might sound oh, that might sound iffy for them. They don't want to leave. But the thing is, they can afford to. When it's us, the middle class, or even the poor who don't even realise it, who are the ones who suffer. So the thing is that you. It, we're not being pro-rich by wanting them to stay. We're being pro-us, and this is one of the biggest, um, one of the silliest things about a lot of these leftist youth wanting to these rich people to leave is that they're hurting themselves, and they're hurting the poorest of the poor. Um, I also made um, just an observation on the, heritage, the e- heritage Index of Economic Freedom, of the just of a glance of this article, which we, will be in the um, description below. The top uh, Just from a glance, the top fi- uh, five of those nations are in the top five um, fr- fr- freest economies in the world. And this shows you that re- free nations attract capital, and capital attracts economic growth. And economic growth has been proven to raise living standards across the board.
1: That's yeah, if, it. if 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 I can have a, you know, just just back up. You know, Martin, you said. Uh, that it's anti wealth. I, I think you should go further. It's anti success. People yeah. are jealous. People don't like seeing other people succeed. Um, and especially, you know, when they're rich or forgive me for saying this, if they're white, people people don't like seeing that. They they think they're being exploited, which is not true. I mean if in a in a free trade environment, if if you do something, if you engage in exchange voluntarily you're not being exploited unless you're being forced to do something. You're not being exploited, and also you mentioned Greece, uh, the the you know the the rich people left Greece and so on. Um, I can back that up with my own experiences. Uh, I grew up in a community where we have where, where we had quite a lot of Greek people in uh in Pretoria, and you know lots of them were very entrepreneurial. You know they worked hard, they were successful, they had. Restaurants and various other kinds of businesses. So the people who immigrate uh, from Greece to here or from here to the UK or wherever, they are genuinely people who are driven and want to be successful and want to be wealthy and then protect their wealth. So you know, fair enough for them. It's just it's a major loss for South Africa, where we have people who have this mentality and this attitude from governments and from you know the people on the ground who. Despise success. Without success, this country will never move forward. Um, mm. So yeah, that's that's what I think.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. Certainly. Uh, I, I I like the point that you made about it's anti-success. I think that that confirms that socialism, or or even simply like any kind of economic collectivism, is it's a, it's an ideology of envy. Like if if I can say it like that, that's it's all that it comes down to. Um. Leon Lowe of the, the free market Foundation actually talks about this in, a, in a, vid- a video that I'll actually also put in the description below where he explains that socialism it's not about the poor socialism is about the rich it, it's, it's obsessing about how the rich how rich individuals are succeeding in life and that is what socialism is all about They don't give a, a crap about what's happening to the poor that's just an afterthought. But it's, it's mainly about the rich and, and the envy, the envy that the socialists themselves have toward the rich.
1: Yeah, it's a form of tribalism, collectivism, yeah. you know. But, yeah, anyway.
0: Uh, Nicholas, anything else to add on that?
2: Yeah, I had an anecdote, but I think that we've basically um, exhausted the topic at this uh, point.
0: Okay, then our last topic is, is is yours. It's on the new liquor liquor um proposals, liquor regulations. Yeah, the regulations that are being proposed by by the Western Cape government and national government. I think so. Can you give us yeah. a little introduction on that?
2: Yeah. Um, national governments and provincial regulators. In, well, as you said, including the Western Province Alcohol Regulator, much to my disappointment. Are supporting an initiative to increase alcohol regulations. Uh, This, to summarize, is raising the drinking age to 21, preventing liquor sales within 500 meters of a school, place of worship, recreational facility, rehab, public institution, or residential area, and closing down of said business within two years if they do not comply, if they don't stop selling alcohol. Um, Restrictions on liquor advertising. And here's another big, big, silly one. Making distributors and manufacturers liable for any damages incurred as a result of alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, my quick ge- uh, my quick thing here mm-hmm. in regard to the drinking age, as uh, as we've seen in America and in many other nations, which can actually has slightly more institutions which are able to enforce these things, it's unenforceable. And the fact of the matter is that we have people from the age of 14, even younger, who are already drinking. All this is doing is making more criminals. Because if they really think that people are going to stop drinking, especially people who have been drinking for a few years now legally, they're really, really living in a fairy tale. Um, The second one, which is one I've really been focusing on, is it basically eliminates commercial alcohol sales. And as much as some people might not like alcohol, we know what prohibition does and it doesn't work. And if you haven't heard about this, just go to a decade in America called the 1920s. And so if this, this does go through, and let's presume that, um, let's say, they, they managed to enforce it, we would have to go all the way to the Karoo in order to get our alcohol, which, of course, is going to this is going to raise crime, damage our economy, you know, the big
0: shebang. Um, Martin? Uh, Christian, you go before me. Uh,
1: I uh, I think uh, prohibition has never worked. It never will. Uh, This this idea that you know that the government should just control our lives—it's ridiculous. You know why don't governments, if if they want to, why don't they ban? Why don't they ban McDonald's? Why don't they ban KFC? You know those things are doing way more damage to to the health of our average citizen than alcohol can do. you know, why don't they just uh, make drugs illegal? Maybe that will solve the drug problem. Oh, wait. Um, <laughs> you know, I think, quite frankly, the, the gangsters are licking their lips at this because it gives them another, another thing to trade illegally. I mean, the, the thing about bad guys is they don't adhere to and listen to the rules and the laws. Mm. So they'll do whatever they want anyway. And I think this will cause lots of death and despair and destruction in places like the Cape Flats. Um, so yeah, let's and and this thing, 500 meters from a school or a church or a rehabilitation. What the hell is that? You know, I think I think they should have breathalyzers in in parliament. They can't even keep alcohol out of parliament. You know, off those off those MPs seem to be intoxicated most of the time. Mm. So, so this is just ridiculous, and I think it's just another thing to distract us from from all the big things that are happening. You know, the bigger the bigger issues. Because this is it's so ridiculous, I can't see this even going through. But who knows? We live in South Africa, anyway. You, uh, Martin?
0: Yeah, no, I, I think, like, like, like Nicholas says, um, prohibition—it—it it can't work. And what is inevitably going to follow from this, and this is something that South Africans are very good at, is violent crime. We. <laughs> they they can call this if they make it into an act like of parliament they can call it like the establishment of a liquor underground act and then that could that could really just they they may just as well give the criminals like statutory authority now because this is so inevitable we are creating a new underground that's gonna supply that that I guess already actually exists that that supplies to people under eighteen but now it's just gonna be like those three extra years, and 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 like on a philosophical level, this this comes down to, to two things. Like, in the first place, it's it's completely it's completely unpractical. Unpractical. Uh, there is no way that the South African government is ever going to be able to enforce this. What what bothers me is that the Western Cape government will actually maybe be able to enforce this, and that that that. That bothers me because the DA has been doing pretty well when it comes to administration and and, and enforcement of whatever laws they pass. Uh, sorry. So um, and and then the second thing is that <laughs> this this comes down to that underlying assumption that the government can just regulate anything. Um, where where did this idea come from that the government can even um get involved in this? I mean, the, I think it's another um another like indication of our constitutional failure that that something I I write uh, a lot about um, on on the blog uh, we our constitution doesn't put effective limits on the government so it's with, with this for example there is no assumed liberty on 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 the part of the people it's just assumed that the government can come in and regulate this if if they want I don't I don't even think they have a mandate for this I don't think when when the ANC supporters got went to the ballot boxes last year and ticked ANC, I don't think this is what they had in mind. Yes, we want the government to stop us from drinking before twenty one. I mean no. Everyone in this country drinks before eighteen, not even to say before twenty one. So so where does the government get this mandate? I I have no idea where, where they pulled this from. So yeah, it's it's some, some kind of insanity that's that's happening in our state. I think it's just um, another power trip for some politicians and bureaucrats. They just want to control more, and that is that is what the nature of the state comes down to. Um, about, um, the state attracts those who are power hungry. Yeah. The the scary thing about this, uh,
2: I was are saying about the act, is this this doesn't have to be passed as an act. It's already in law. Regulators in provinces just have to sign the bill. Which that's what I found particularly scary about it, and that's why, um, particularly in the Western Province, the regulator sounds like he's really, really likes this idea. And what you said is, I can't see who would have the mandate for this because, um, as uh, Chris John mentioned earlier, there's even alcohol in Parliament, and I really don't think our, it's our parliamentarians who are uh, who want this law. I think it's a, a, probably some conservative, uh, not the good, fiscally conservative, the. Socially conservative, who are really, really don't like alcohol and want to legislate morality, and they've managed to get some bureaucrats into government, and now they want to go on a little bit of a power trip. Maybe they've got good intentions, but they also not really good at recent history. Or you can.
1: Yeah, yeah I, I wish these busybodies can just realize that government can't make people take care of themselves. The reason I didn't start. You know, drinking i don't i'm not like an alcoholic but i didn't start drinking bec- before i was 17 18 19 just because i knew what alcohol does to a youth's body you know a young person's brain is severely affected by alcohol and you know my parents and my teachers taught me that i, I didn't i didn't i don't care about the law cuz who's going to enforce the law if my if my parents gives me a glass of wine at home when i was 16 or 17 are the police going to come bash down my door and uh, prevent me from drinking. It's, how, how are they going to enforce this? It's just going to create a new underworld and it's going to make legitimate uh, alcohol producers and liquor stores suffer. That's all it's going to do. But let's see.
0: Hmm. Yeah, yeah, certainly. So anyone else have something to say about that? No? Okay. Are we, are we done? Yeah, I think yeah. I think that about wraps up this uh, unfortunately our, our fourth panelist so to say Pumlani Majozi from the Free Market Foundation and from the Independent Entrepreneurship Group couldn't join us today you will be joining us in our subsequent episodes hopefully uh, mm-hmm. thank you everyone for tuning in for um, okay, the links I- on, oh yeah sure Christian go can I just give a,
1: a, as a closing remark uh, Just, uh, you know, if if you have any suggestions, if anyone has any suggestions in the comments and so on, uh, what we should do or change, just please leave them there. And please bear in mind, this is our first ever episode for any of us, I think. So just forgive any uh, unprofessionalism or bad quality or anything and, uh, you know, tell us where we can improve.
2: And feel free to send us money so we can buy bad quality marks. (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah, certainly. Uh, we we are new at this. Uh, We're hoping to to um, become like a re- uh, kind of a voice for the libertarian minority in South Africa. Uh, so if you are one of those people who feel that none of the parties in parliament, uh, no, no one in civil society really represents you, please get involved with um, South African Libertarian. Uh, we're always happy to take on more um, contributors uh, and suggestions in general, like Nicholas and Christian did, just said. Uh, we'll be providing all the other li- relevant links that we discussed now and uh, to our to our website and our Facebook page in in the comments below. Please remember to subscribe to this channel and to go like our Facebook page, uh, especially the Facebook page. And, yeah, thank you for tuning in. That wraps this first episode of Policy Debates up. Uh, Have a nice day.